welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. I want to welcome you to M1 Online Worship. Whether you are watching the tradition service, the encounter service, or the Resonate service, we're glad that you are tuned in and worshiping with the Magnolias First family. Wherever you might be, at home, here in our community, or wherever you might be, we are glad that you have tuned in to M1 Online Worship. We're looking forward to that time when we can worship in person together here at the Magnolias First Campus. We're watching the numbers closely. We believe that time is coming. We pray that it will be soon. In the meantime, we are praying for those both in our congregation as well as friends and family members that we know have tested positive for the virus, that they will recover quickly and completely. And we pray that the Lord will watch over all of us and keep us safe during these times of the pandemic. There have been times in the history of our nation when the American citizens have felt like their world was turned upside down. On December the 7th, 1941, the Japanese launched a surprise attack on our base in Pearl Harbor. And America was plunged into a world war that would change the life of not only those who served in the military, but of all Americans. I was not yet born during the time of World War II, but both my father and my mother served in the United States Army during the war. My father as an infantry officer, my mother as an army nurse. World War II turned our world as Americans upside down. On November the 22nd, 1963, I was an eighth grade student at Burbank Junior High School. I will never forget, I was in math class and our teacher was suddenly called out of the classroom and we began to look at one another puzzled at what might be going on and in just a few moments, she returned with a very troubled and somber look and told that eighth grade math class, that the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had been shot by a sniper in Dallas, Texas. And for a period of time, the world of Americans was turned upside down. And then on a day that most Americans are old enough to remember, September the 11th, 2001, the cowardly attack upon New York City and the Pentagon and upon really all of our nation. We were devastated at the images that we saw on television and truly that was a day that for America, the world was turned upside down. Though not as violent and brutal as those attacks, the COVID virus has in many ways in our present day turned not just America, but the entire world upside down. And though we can to a degree control our safety 
with social distancing and the wearing of masks and washing our hands and sanitizer and all of those things, in addition to the coronavirus, we as a nation are experiencing racial and social and political unrest in ways that perhaps we never have before. How do we respond when the world gets turned upside down? There are so many things that are out of our control. We are having so much information, and yes, misinformation as well, thrown at us on the news and in social media and in many other ways. What do you do in response? Well, that's what I want to address in today's message as we begin this series, When the World Gets Turned Upside Down. And our big idea is a theme that I want to weave all the way through the pages of the New Testament today, and it is this, when you don't understand, trust, trust. We're going to revisit some stories this morning of New Testament characters, real people whose worlds were literally turned upside down. We'll look at John the Baptist. And then we'll look at the Apostle Paul at two different seasons of his life. And then finally, at the friends of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we'll see how God was at work when their worlds were turned upside down. John the Baptist is such an interesting character. He was the cousin of Jesus. How strange would that be? He was, the Bible says, the forerunner, the one who came before Jesus to proclaim the arrival of the Son of God. He baptized Jesus as the Heavenly Father identified Jesus as his own Son. And I don't know what John the Baptist thought his role might be in the coming kingdom of God, Maybe he at least thought he'd be on the executive leadership team. I'm not sure. But instead, in Matthew 11, John finds himself in prison. And after weeks of being in that dank, dark dungeon, John, who was a human being just like you and I, had to feel discouraged, maybe even a bit depressed, certainly somewhat disillusioned. At the very least, he had to have wondered and asked himself, what is going on? This is not how I thought it would work out. And so finally, when some of his followers come to visit, he asked them to go to Jesus and to give him a message, and the message is actually a question And it, in essence, asked Jesus, are you the guy or not? And so let's pick up the narrative in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, 
The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. If you stop and think about it, Jesus' message to John was a strange message. He, in essence, tells John's disciples to go back and tell him what I am doing for all these other people. There's no mention about, John, don't worry. You're just there for a little while. I'll get you out of this. Be patient, John. I'm on my way. It's all going to be okay. None of that. And yet Jesus never promised John that they would ride together on white horses into the city of Rome and overthrow all the bad guys and set up the kingdom of God with John at the right hand of Jesus. There was never that kind of promise. And neither is there that kind of assurance for Christ followers today. There was never a promise that Jesus would make sure to make our lives all fat and comfy. It was always about advancing the kingdom of God. And when you and I became followers of Christ, we became soldiers in that army. And today in the midst of the pandemic, while we are inconvenienced with having to wear masks and all these other precautions, let's be real, we're not in prison as John was or as many people who follow Christ in very difficult places still are today. John the Baptist was waiting for God to work, and he would. But here's a lesson that we must learn from his life. When God is at work elsewhere, but we are in difficulties, it reminds us that We are not the center of the universe. He is. And John's words, Jesus' words to John in the sixth verse of Matthew 11 are so powerful. I love this verse from a new translation called the Passion Translation. Look at it. Jesus said, And tell John that the blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me, no matter what happens. Listen, if you're struggling today, if you're in the midst of a difficult time, then just understand, just because you don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean he's doing nothing. How important was John the Baptist? To Jesus. How important are you? Look at the 11th verse of Matthew 11. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's an amazing statement, but the next statement is even more amazing. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven. Stop right there. That's you and that's me. 
Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. John had fulfilled his earthly mission for the kingdom of God. And though he was imprisoned and, yes, even later executed here on earth, you can rest assured he was welcomed home into the heavenly kingdom with a hero's welcome. When God has an undisclosed purpose for your difficulties, it does not mean that you do not matter to him. You do. Our second story uh, is from the life of the apostle Paul. Uh, We're going to Acts chapter 16. Let me give you some context. Paul and his partner in ministry, Silas, are preaching and working miracles in the city of Philippi. And instead of being celebrated for the great wonders that they were doing through the power of God, Paul and Silas found themselves in serious trouble. And yet Paul and Silas teach us a powerful lesson about how to respond to difficult times that we did nothing to deserve. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul is preaching and evangelizing in Philippi, and great opposition arises among the Jews. Let's pick up the narrative, Acts 16, beginning with verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Look at this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I love that. They're in the the dungeon, they're in the the filthy, stinking, worst part of the dungeon, but they're praying and singing and praising God. And look what happened, verse 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Love this part. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. It makes me want to say, Shazam! what, What a miracle. What an amazing thing happened in response to their praise. Verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, I love this, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. 
Isn't that an amazing story? How God used the worst possible circumstances to result in the salvation of an entire family. And that jailer went on to become part of the core that began the great church in Philippi. What an amazing transformation, all because Paul and Silas had hearts filled with praise to God, even in the worst of circumstances. Oh, listen, can you see this? When our heart gives God praise, even in the midst of hardship, we will be amazed at what God can and will do. I received an email this week uh, from my friend, Pastor Bill Thompson. Uh, Cindy and I have been friends with Bill and his sweet wife, Pat, for many many years. I've admired the faithfulness of his ministry, and I want to read you just a part of his email that tells you just a bit about his story. Listen to these words from my friend, Pastor Bill Thompson. A little over two years ago, after 71 years as an active preacher, I felt the Lord leading me to finally retire. So I hung up the unavailable sign and began the adjustment to not preaching anymore. It was hard to be unavailable until Pat began to get sick. It wasn't long before she needed me to care for her more and more, and that became my ministry and my reason for being. Neither of us could do much, but we did manage to attend the morning worship services at our church. Then, the pandemic shut things down so no one could go. Now that some are able to attend services, we are still shut out because of our age and our health. We may never be able to attend again. And that is frustrating. But then I love what he says next. He said, somewhere along the way, I came across this saying which challenged me. Don't let what you can't do keep you from what you can do. And Bill is living that out. He is sharing the rich writings of more than seven decades of pastoral ministry with friends all over the nation through email on a regular basis. He's not letting what he can't do keep him for what, from what he can do for the glory of God. And so whether it's the Apostle Paul in a Philippian jail or a pastor who is confined because of the pandemic and his health, if our hearts remain engaged in praise unto our God and we make ourselves available to him, he can and will do amazing things. Our next story is also from the life of the Apostle Paul, a different season, 
And yet a powerful story, and you know this story as well. The apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh. And he never identified exactly what that was. Scholars have differences of opinions, uh, but I think it, it's probable that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an optical disease, something with his eyes that hindered him physically and kept him from doing things even in God's work that he could do had he not had the thorn uh, in the flesh. And so he tells us how God revealed to him how he wanted to work in his life through the thorn in the flesh. So I'm going to read a, a snapshot of Paul's life from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 7 and go through verse 9. Just, just listen to Paul's words. He said, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And the language there uh, suggests it was not the, the kind of prayer that, oh, God, thank you for the food, and oh, by the way, could you take away the thorn? No, no, no. It, it, it means that he literally begged God. He pleaded with God. I begged the Lord to take it away. And then verse 9, he says, each time he, the Lord, said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And when that truth captured Paul's heart, it changed his perspective. It changed his outlook. It changed his attitude. And he goes on to say in that ninth verse, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. The apostle Paul had prayed, oh, take it away. Take it away, God. Please take it away. And we often pray prayers pretty similar to that when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when we are in pain. And yet the answer that we may need to hear is the same one that Paul heard, that God wants to, rather than take away the struggle and the pain, he wants to demonstrate his sufficiency in the midst of the pain. For even when we don't understand, when God tells us that he is enough, we should believe him because he is. So, whether it's the hardship of the coronavirus or the, the impact upon the economy and perhaps your own job and livelihood or some other personal issue, whatever it might be, instead of our prayers just being, take it away, take it away, please God, take it away, perhaps we need to understand that God's purpose may be to demonstrate to you and to others around you that his grace is sufficient in the midst of the hardship. Well, we'll leave the Apostle Paul now on our final story is of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
three people that Jesus deeply loved. They were his close friends. He'd stayed in, in their home. He'd had meals and many conversations with them. And you know the story of Lazarus, that Lazarus died and Jesus raised him from the dead. It's a familiar story. But I want you to see just a snapshot in the midst of the early part of that story where when the news first came to Jesus that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were in crisis because Lazarus was near death, that Jesus didn't drop everything and run to their side, that he had something quite different in mind. So again, let's pick up the narrative in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, I, I can just envision as the messenger arrives to where Jesus and the, the disciples are, and the disciples are sitting there, and they hear that message delivered from Jesus, and they all get up, and they began to grab their things because they knew they were just about to depart to go be with Lazarus. He was sick. He might die. And Jesus said, guys, guys, just put your stuff down. We're not going anywhere. And I know they must have looked at each other with puzzlement and wonder, what, what do you mean we're not, we're not going? Didn't you hear Lazarus is sick? He might die. Jesus, he needs you. Let, let's go. But Jesus was doing something very different that they didn't understand. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, now look at this. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. And then we know the story. They were both confused, the sisters of Lazarus, and they said, if you'd been here, he would not have died. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he waited to come until his plan could be unfolded at the perfect Time. Here's what we need to learn from this story. God's delay does not mean that he's disinterested. It doesn't mean he's too busy. It doesn't mean he's distracted. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. He does. It doesn't mean that you are unimportant. Quite the opposite. You see, God has a purpose a purpose for what he does and when he does it. It was true for the people in our stories today, and it's true in your life too. 
He may work in ways you don't expect or understand, but he has a purpose, and he has perfect timing. His purpose and his timing may not be clear to you today, but it is clear to him, and someday it will be clear to you. I close with one of my life verses Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see, even the end of life on this earth does not stop God's plan for our life. That plan is eternal. So here are two next steps I want you to take with what you've heard today. A next step for today and one for tomorrow. First of all, today, take your eyes off the troubles of this world and look for where God is at work. It won't be hard to find if you will look for it. And I promise it will be much better than the evening news you would watch on TV. And then secondly, tomorrow and every day after, trust in his promise that he has a plan for you and he will be faithful to fulfill it. How can you be discouraged when the God of the universe has a plan for you and he holds you in the palm of his hand? Yes, these are troubled times, but they're exactly the times God does his best work. What do you do when the world gets turned upside down? When you don't understand, trust. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are at work in our world, despite everything that's going on, and in our life, no matter what we're facing. Help us, even when we don't understand, to trust in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.